0: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمد عبده ورسوله أما بعد فإن أحسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الحدي حدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم Wa inna Sharral Umori Mahtatouha Wakulla Muhtata Timbida Wakullah Bida Tin Dalala Wakulla Dalala tin Finar. So we're continuing uh, with this uh, series of short lectures by uh, the Sheikh, Shaykh Ubaid, Al Jabri, Hafidah uh, Rahimahullah Ta'ala uh, from the scholars of Medina who passed away recently, uh, Rahimahullah. And so in this book these are it's a compilation of uh, short lectures that the Sheikh has given on a whole variety of different topics. So we're about two-thirds of the way through this book. And in today's lesson, uh, we want to try and maybe squeeze in two of these short lectures. Um, the first one uh, the first one is on the ruling on suicide, or killing oneself. This is the first lecture, and the Shaykh will mention a number of hadith uh, from Al-Bukhari and mention some of the benefits to be taken from these hadiths. And the second lecture, the second short lecture, is on the topic of wealth and being put to trial with wealth. And so again, the Shaykh will mention numerous ahadith and extract some of the benefits from those ahadith. So let's begin with the first uh, lecture, and uh, it's titled Al Kalam, Hawla Hukmi Qatili Nafsihi. Speech regarding the ruling on the one who kills himself, takes his own life. So the Shaykh, or the reader of the Shaykh, the one who's reading for the Shaykh, he reads uh, after the Basmalah and sending. Uh, praise upon Allah, sending, uh, praising Allah and sending salat and salam upon the Messenger of Allah. Uh, he says, This is in the book of military expeditions in Al Bukhari. And in this chapter, there's a hadith. So he mentions the Isnad, hadathana Qutayba, hadathana Ya'qub. الله الله so this is on an expedition the messenger of Allah he encountered some of the polytheists and so they engaged in a battle so a battle ensued Ma'la Rasulullahi اللَّهِ صلى الله وسلم إِلَىٰ So basically, in the course of the battle, the Messenger of Allah, he basically regrouped or got together with his troops. And the others got together with their troops. And then among the companions of Allah's Messenger, وَفِي أَصْحَابِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ لا يدع لهم شاذة ولا فاذة إلا تبعها يضربها بسيفه. So there was one man, and he, whenever he saw like an isolated group, a patch here, a patch there, of the polytheists, he basically rushed into them and fought against them, right? Without any fear, he just plunged into those groups of people and he would fight them and he would kill them. So when the people saw this, it was said uh, when the people said this, uh, when the people saw this فَقِيلْ ما أجزأ اليوم أحد كما أجزأ فلان. That there is no one amongst us today who have, who have basically uh, fulfilled their duty or done what this man has done. And upon hearing this, the Messenger of Allah, وسلم, he said, "Amma inna." So he said, "As for him, then he is from the inhabitants of the Hellfire." So now everybody's taken by this statement. How can this man, who is showing all of this bravery, all of this courage, without any fear, he's plunging himself into the enemy? And killing the enemy, yet the messenger of allah he said, he is from the inhabitants of the hellfire. So there was one man amongst them who said, "He is my companion. I know this man." So he decided to stick with this man wherever he goes and whatever he does. So he says, "Ahihu,maahhu. So this man, he kept by the side of, the, of this man who was showing bravery and courage so that he could see what, what is he doing and what is he going to do. So he stayed with him all of the way. And then he said, it happened that this man, فَجُرِحَ الرَّجُلْ جُرْحًا شَدِيدًا al it happened that this man became wounded severely, and what he did is that he hastened his own death. So he took he took his sword, he took his sword, he placed the, the handle part of his sword on the on the ground, and he put the the point between his chest, and then he pushed himself onto the sword in order to hasten his own death. So basically, he killed himself, right? So this man who accompanied him all the way, he observed what this man had done. So then he came back, this man, he said, فَخَرَجَ الرَّجُلُ الى رسول اللَّهِ, صلى الله عليه وسلم. This man then came back to the Messenger of Allah, and he said, أَشْهَدُ أَنَّكَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ He said, I testify that you are the Messenger of Allah. And the messenger said, "Wamadak." I said, "And what's? Why is this? What's this?" And the man said, Ar Rajul, alladhi zakarta anifan, anhu min ahlil-nar." He said, "This man that you just mentioned earlier on—that this man is from the inhabitants of the hellfire." Uh, the people then began to listen. What's what's going to be said? So this man said, "I left with him, and I stuck stuck with him." He was then wounded with a severe wound and then he hastened his own death. So he put the bottom part of his sword on the earth and the peak of it between his chest and then he pushed himself onto the sword in order to kill himself, basically hasten his own death. So after all of this, what did the Messenger of Allah sallallahu ﷺ, what did he say? فَقَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ He said, إِنَّ الرَّجُلْ عَمَلَ أَهْلِ الْجَنَّةِ يَبْدُو لِلنَّاسِ وَهُوَ مِنْ أَهْلِ He said, Indeed, a man will do the deeds of the people of paradise in what is apparent to the people. So you see the deeds of a man, he's doing all the deeds of, of paradise. And this is what appears to be so to the people. But wa huwa min ahlil nahr. Yet he is from the inhabitants of the hellfire. Wa inna alrajul liyamalu. عمل عمل أهل النار فيما يبدو للناس وهو من أهل الجنة. And a man does the deeds of the people of hellfire in what is apparent to the people. Wa huwa min ahlil jannah. Yet He is from the inhabitants of paradise. And then in another version of the hadith it is mentioned. Which means indeed the deeds of a person are basically sealed upon you know whatever he dies upon. So whatever deed he dies upon, then his life or his deeds are sealed upon that action. So this is the first hadith uh, mentioned by the reader and then the reader continues to mention the second hadith and in this hadith through the chain of narration from Az-Zuhri who said Sa'id ibn al anhu that Abu Huraira he said uh, Shahidna khaybar, we witnessed the expedition of, of Khaybar فقال Qala الله, صلى الله عليه وسلم, and the messenger of Allah he, uh, وسلم, he said uh, لرجل ممن معه الاسلام right so he said of a man who was with him who claimed Islam he said هذا من أهل النار. so he said this man is from the people of the fire so then when the battle broke out, فلما حضر القتال قاتل الرجل القتال When the battle broke out, the same man, he then fought very fiercely until he acquired many, many wounds. And some people then began to doubt. النَّاسِ يَرْتَابُ Some people began to doubt thinking, how could the Messenger of Allah say about this man, that this man is from the inhabitants of the hellfire. Yet we have seen him fighting with such fierceness against the the polytheists and so on and so forth. And he's acquired all of these wounds. How can this man be from the inhabitants of the hellfire? So they began to maybe doubt in what they had heard from the messenger of Allah. So then what happened is, uh, the, the, the man... He found that the pain of the wounds was so much that he reached out to his bag or his thing, his satchel or whatever he had with him, to take out some spears or daggers. And using those spears and those daggers, he basically killed himself. He hastened his own death in order to escape the, the, the pain. And uh this became very, very kind of difficult upon the Muslims who were around. And so they said to the Messenger of Allah, they said, Ya Rasulullah, Allahu Hadithak. O Messenger of Allah, Allah has made true your speech. Allah has made your speech to become true. Because the Messenger said, This man is from the inhabitants of the hellfire. So the people, when they saw all this happening, they came back to the Messenger of Allah. And they said, O oh, messenger of Allah, Allah has made your speech to become true because that man, that man, he committed suicide. He took his own life. So the messenger said to one man, فلان, stand, O so and so, and announce it to the people. Announce it to the people that no one shall enter paradise except a believer. And then he said, Indeed, Allah, he aids the religion by way of a sinful man. He aids the religion. Allah can aid the religion by way of a sinful man, a sinner. And so this is the end of the second hadith. So these are two hadiths. Uh, that were read to the Shaykh, and in the Shaykh, he went on to say, There are numerous benefits from these uh, hadiths, and it is obligatory for the Muslim to reflect upon these hadiths and the lessons to be taken from these hadiths. So the Shaykh mentions four or five benefits altogether. So we'll start with the first one. The first benefit. The shaykh mentioned that we can extract from these hadiths is that within them is a sign amongst the signs of the prophethood of muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam alamun min a'lamin nubuwah so he says that he the messenger of allah he whatever he informed of the one man or and the second man if they are two separate incidents that this happened exactly as he said. And the people observed and they, they witnessed all of this. And so this is one of many, many, many of the signs of prophethood. The scholars of the Muslims, they have written books on this topic. and Many of the scholars of the past. Al-Mawardi, Ibn Qutayba, Al-Bayhaqi. And within these books, they have outlined or listed the hundreds of the signs of the prophethood that he is indeed a genuine prophet sent by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and among these signs, the various categories of these signs some of them for example are the mu'jizat these are the miracles performed by the Messenger of Allah uh, the greatest of which is the Quran itself Uh, from them are um, issues of uh, prophecies that he mentioned or information that would be hidden such as These examples here where he was informing about the reality the hidden reality of of people and others are basically the uh, Signs of the hour that are to come in the future the minor signs the major signs many hundreds of them so these books are found Alhamdulillah amongst the scholars of the Muslims. So whoever wants to go and read and learn more about this. Likewise also another category in fact is what is found in the Torah and the Injil in previous revelations of the mention of the Messenger of Allah by his name and his location and his traits and his qualities and the people to whom he will be sent, you know, polytheists and idolaters. All of this is found in the previous uh, revelations uh, which obviously have been, have been distorted and altered but nevertheless one can still find in those books these indications so anyhow this is the first faidah, the first benefit uh, from these hadiths that within these hadiths is an indication of the truthfulness of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam the second benefit the Shaykh mentions here that we take from this is or what it indicates is the obligation wujul iman, bikulimaja bihi Muhammadun Sallallahu Alassallam, wa annahu wahiulla Ilihi, Sawa Kana Maj Bihi Qur'anan, Ausunnatan, Sahabihan Nakal anhu. So the second benefit is the, oblig- the obligation to accept everything that Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi came with and to believe and to accept that it is revelation from Allah, irrespective of whether it is the Quran. Or whether it is the Sunnah, as long as the report is authentic, and we believe it upon the reality that it came with. The Sheikh mentions a number of verses in the Quran Anil Hawa in Huwa illa yuha," that this Prophet he does not speak from his own desire, it is no less than revelation which has been revealed to him. And in another passage in the Qur'an, Whatever the messenger gives to you, then accept it and take it. And whatever he prohibits you from, then restrain and withhold. Wattaqullah And have fear of Allah. In اللَّهَ Indeed, Allah is swift and is severe in punishment. So these verses indicate the obligation to accept and to take with acceptance whatever the Messenger came with. And then the Shaykh goes on to explain that if we look at what the Messenger came with, we can divide it into three categories. So the Messiah in his in the Revelation, in the Quran and the Sunnah, there are three categories that he, that he came with. The first is Al-Awamir, these are the commands. The second is An-Nawahi, these are the prohibitions. And the third is Al-Akhbār, Al-Akhbār, which are the, 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 the information or the reports which he brought. The shaykh went on to explain, it is obligatory to do the commands. So this is how we respond to the command, to the Amr, it is, it is to do it. And to avoid the prohibition, this is how we respond to the prohibition, we, we avoid it. And to make tasdiq to believe and to accept his akhbar, which are his reports. And these reports are basically irrespective of whether this report is to do with something that we can actually see and observe or whether it is to do with the unseen, Allah's names, his attributes or whether it is to do with the nations who came before us when the Messenger speaks about stories and incidents about the nations of the past, which is from the knowledge of the unseen, or whether it is related to the future in what relates to this Ummah and the signs of the hour, the minor signs of the hour, the major signs of the hour, and so on and so forth. All of that, it is obligatory to believe in the truthfulness of the Messenger of Allah in all of these types of information. And the Sheikh goes on to say that this Sunnah has to be protected against false imaginations and lies and you know revilement which is made against what the Messenger brought and the Shaykh is alluding here to uh, or an example of this would be as the Shaykh says فَمَنْ تَعْنَ فَقَدْ Anyone who reviles anything that the messenger came with, then he has exited the sunnah, he has left the sunnah, deviated away from the sunnah, and he has entered into innovation. And he has innovated into the religion that which is not from it. The Sheikh is alluding here, or the types of people that the Sheikh is alluding to here, uh, the people like the, the rationalists, the mu'tazila. Those who believe that the revelation has to be subjected to the criterion of reason, that it is reason that evaluates revelation, right? So they operated on this principle, and as a result of this principle, the Mu'tazila and those who follow in their way to this day, they say things like, for example, that um, how can we, you know, how can we believe? in the punishment of the grave this is nonsensical how this is unfathomable we can't how is a person punished in the grave when he's bones and dust and and so on and so forth right so they take things that the messenger came with about the unseen or they say for example that on, on the day of judgment there are going to be scales mawazeen, that are going to weigh a person, an individual, in different ways. His deeds will be weighed, his scrolls will be weighed. And so they say, how how can the deeds of a person be weighed? This doesn't make sense. So therefore, the the scales which are mentioned in the Quran, in the Sunnah, this must be metaphorical. It must be allegorical. It must just be a, a figure of speech, right? And then in the same way, they apply the same way of thinking, to not only affairs of the unseen, they also apply it even to the actual rulings, to the affair, to the ahkam, and to issues of fiqh, where the, the, their mind is unable to understand, you know, the, the, the reason or the wisdom behind a particular injunction or ruling or, or piece of guidance, right? and this is why these same people historically speaking when they appeared in the time of the tabi'in Amr bin Ubaid al-Mu'tazili Awasil bin Ata we see that they began to revile and speak ill of the sahaba of the of the companions so for example Amr bin Ubaid al-Mu'tazili he's from the heads of the Mu'tazila he said and he is speaking about the hadith of abdullah bin masud anhu the one about how the creation of one of you is brought together in the in the womb of his mother in 40 days like such and such and 40 days like such and 40 days like such and such and then an angel is sent and it you know writes down whether male or female whether happy or wretched his his rizq, his sustenance, and his lifespan. So, because the mu'tazila do not believe in al qadr because they believe wrongly that it is unjust for Allah to decree the actions of the servants, good or bad, and then to reward and punish them for it. Right? This is from the from the reason. Because they because they claim this is injustice, they therefore rejected the texts which mention the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So from them is this hadith of Abdullah bin Mas'ud. So what did Amr bin Ubaid he say? What did he say? He said, and look at the, look at the, the boldness, the jura, the courage in what he said. He said, if I heard Al-A'mash, Al-A'ma, Al-A'mash is one of the narrators of the hadith. If I heard him say this, then I would declare him to be a liar. And if I heard Zaid bin Wahab, the the second person in the chain of narration, saying this, I would not have believed him. And if I heard Abdullah bin Mas'ud saying it, I would not have accepted it. Meaning, if I heard a companion saying this, I would not have accepted it. And if I heard Allah's messenger, saying this, I would have rejected it. And if I heard Allah saying it, I would have said, I did not take a covenant for the likes of this. Right? So, this is the, the boldness of Amr bin Obed al Mu'tazili operating on the principle that reason evaluates revelation. Right? The reason why they say this is because, this is, the reason why they say it is because, what comes first? Is it reason or revelation? Is it reason or revelation? Right? They say that in order for us to accept and believe revelation, there has to be sound reason first. So because reason comes first, then reason has to be the thing which evaluates and validates the revelation. So reason has to first of all establish a proof that the messenger is truthful and that the Quran is from Allah. This is the role of reason to do that, right? So you know, obviously this is a separate topic in itself but, but this is the basis upon which the Mu'tazila as we said they rejected many of the affairs to do with belief even to the extent in the issues of Fiqh, in the issues of jurisprudence and the Ahkam we find that the Mu'tazila, they also reviled the Sahaba So for example Uh, again from Amr bin Ubaid, uh, uh, it was mentioned to him that those hadith mentioned to him about how there are two moments of silence during the prayer, right? So the first one is after the Imam says, Allahu Akbar, and then you remain silent for a short while before the Fatiha. And then after the Fatiha, there is a moment of silence be- before the, the recitation of the, the, the additional recitation is, is commenced. So these two moments of silence they are mentioned in a hadith related uh, by Al Hassan from Samura bin Jundub, right? So Amr bin Obeid said, "What shall we do with this Samura? May Allah disfigure Samura," meaning that he he didn't like or accept that there should be these two moments of silence. And anyone who narrated a hadith in that respect then this Mu'tazili you know he, he reviled the companions and similarly uh, they reviled Uthman anhu, because Uthman he allowed a woman who had completed her idda period to receive inheritance right so they reviled Uthman on the basis of that and they said Uthman he is not a person of the sunnah this is a statement of Amr bin Ubaid and likewise, Amr bin, Ubaid, Amr bin Ubaid, he used to say, if Ali, Uthman, Talha and az were to testify in front of me in relation to a shoestring, to something as trivial as a shoestring, I would not consider it. Meaning he would reject their testimony because he does not hold them to be, to be reliable. Why? Because they narrate things which they believed to be opposed to reason and which could not have come from Allah and His Messenger. Similarly, Wasil bin Ata, from the, the, the second head of misguidance, he said, if Aisha عنها, and Talha testified in front of me regarding a bunch of herbs, a handful of herbs, I would not judge using their testimony. Why is he saying this? Is because he believes they are untruthful, unreliable, because they narrate things which oppose reason and so therefore, these things cannot be attributed to the Messenger of Allah. So therefore, these people are not trustworthy and reliable. Right? So they're saying this about the Sahaba. So this is what happens when you place reason over revelation. When you place reason over revelation and uh, the fact of the matter is uh, as the Sheikh goes on to uh, explain that this is tremendous deviation and tremendous misguidance and as you know we mentioned these things before first of all that the very first quality of the believer mentioned in the Quran is to believe in the unseen right to believe in the unseen is the very first trait and characteristic mentioned in the Quran, and this is this makes sense. This is from reason, because uh, the unseen, al ghaib is a relative thing. Uh, there are things which are unseen to humans, which are unseen, which are not unseen to the angels, and so everything is relative. So there are many, many things that we cannot know, we cannot fathom about the creation, about what's in the creation about beings within the creation, about the workings of creation. So it makes sense to show humility and to, and to acknowledge one's limitations and to believe that there are things which are from the unseen that we can't see, that we must believe in. And this is very different to... And so we see that the people of disbelief, they oppose this principle. And among the people of disbelief, there are many philosophical schools of thought. Uh, these occurred in history as well. Um, from them is, for example, uh, the idea that the only thing which exists is what can be directly perceived with the senses, right? And this was a, a belief that uh, these uh, Hindu philosophers, the Somaniya, that Jaham bin Safwan debated with, this is what they claimed, they claimed. The only thing which exists is what can be perceived by the senses. So have you perceived your Lord? Have you seen your Lord? Have you smelt your Lord? Have you touched your Lord? Have you heard your Lord? Have you tasted your Lord? So they, 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 they confused him because he accepted the premise that the only thing which exists are the things which can be perceived by the senses. This is not true. right? So this idea is not something which is new. This idea is repeated today by the by the disbelievers and the materialists that the only thing which is real and, tr- real and true are the things which, which we can directly detect by way of, of sensory perception. So they deny the angels, they deny the jinn and, and so all of this is falsehood and it is, it is futile. The second related point that we should mention here as well is that al Islam Ibn Ramallah, he mentions often that the revelation can never ever come with anything which is impossible, right? It can, it can come with things which bewilder the intellect, they make you perplexed, right? But the revelation does not come with anything which is impossible. So the correct thing to say, for the Mu'tazila to say is that we do not fathom and understand this, the punishment of the grave, the scales that will weigh the deeds of the people, certain rulings in Islam, the issue of Al-Qadr, we do not fully comprehend this. So therefore our minds are perplexed, we will submit and we will accept. This is how a believer should be responding. But this, this illness or this disease of making reason to be the judge of revelation, this is this this is tremendous misguidance, and I want to give you just one quick example. I've given this example in the past uh, to show, practically, let's say that you were in, you know, thirteenth, twelfth century England, you know, in a village somewhere, and remember, these nations in the West were were, you know, living in uh, ignorance and misguidance. So let's say that somehow you could. Go into the future and take a drone, for example, a drone, and take it back to that 12th or 13th century, and you know, you could go to, to these villages, and you could take the drone, you know, and make it say certain things and flash some lights and whatever. You have to think, what would these villagers be thinking about this thing that they are seeing? Right? They would think that this is witchcraft, this is the, the act of magicians and this is witchcraft and this is something that is, that is completely uh, unfathomable, right? but they would be wrong because this is from the ways and means which exist in Allah's creation not yet discovered. And at some point in the future people are able to discover by study that Allah's, Allah's the creation, the ways and the means. And they are able to, you know, make and manufacture things, and this is just from the ways and means. There's, there's no magic. There's no seher. There's, you know, so, so it makes sense. So, so in a way, if you if you put the right people in the right place, it's as if the people of disbelief, who believe in materialism or whatever, they are like the villagers, the ignorant, backward villagers. Right, who reject and deny that there are things outside of their ability, the comprehension, and the people who accept and believe that certain things are possible that bewilder the mind, then that would be us because we believe in the unseen, we believe that there are things outside of our comprehension at this point in time, just like the hereafter, there are many things which are outside of our comprehension. But when the veil is removed on Yawmul Qiyamah, then we will see all the realities as they are. right? So anyhow, this is, this is the, the, the second benefit mentioned by the Shaykh. It is obligatory upon us to believe and accept everything that the Messenger of Allah, that he conveyed to us. Whether we understand it or not. Whether it is an issue of belief, whether it is, it is a, a khabar, about something about Allah's creation about the nations of the past or whether it is to do even with the rulings it is not a condition we can mention one more point that it is not a condition for you to act upon a command for you to understand its wisdoms you don't say i'm not going to act upon i'm not going to pray or fast until you know i can list all of the wisdoms behind why i'm doing this act no you may know some of the wisdoms some of the wisdoms might actually be mentioned in the, in the, in the texts. Like fasting, for example. It is, to, it, is to, it is to have taqwa. Right? So some of the things might be mentioned, but it's not a condition for you to know the wisdoms of this command or this prohibition or what's the secret and reality behind this khabar from the messenger. No. You submit and maybe afterwards, maybe knowledge and understanding will come to you. This is the way of the Sahaba عنهم, as opposed to the way of the misguided, heretical Mu'tazila, which which you know who bring many many evils upon the religion and the worldly affairs. So this is the second benefit mentioned by the Sheikh. The third benefit mentioned by the Sheikh is that uh, a man killing himself, al-mar'i nafsu, al-mar'i atham A man killing himself is from the greatest of the sins, acts of disobedience and the sins. And the Sheikh mentions how in the khutbah, because the Sheikh is giving the lesson on a Friday after the khutbah, and in the khutbah, the khatib mentioned the issue of suicide, and he mentioned that anyone who kills himself commits suicide, then he will remain killing himself using the same method or the same technique that he killed himself with in the life of this world. And so this is an indication to the hadith of the Messenger of Allah Sallam, um, in which uh, narrated by Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu narrated by Al-Bukhari and others in which he said من من جبل فقتل نفسه فهو في uh, يتردى uh, يتردى فيه خالدا مخلدا فيها the one who throws himself off a mountain to kill himself then in the hellfire in the hellfire he will be throwing himself continuously off you know uh, and, and and be doing this remaining therein forever and whoever Took poison to kill himself, then this poison will be in his hand in the hellfire, and he will be continuously killing himself with that poison whilst he's in the hellfire. And whoever pierced himself or killed himself with some sharp instrument or object, then that same thing will be in his hand, and he will be repeatedly, you know, trying to kill himself in the hellfire remaining therein forever. So this is a severe, severe uh, caution against committing uh, suicide, and it is not possible for Allah to place a burden or to place a pain upon a person that he cannot bear. La nafsan illa wusaha and so therefore to prematurely take your life whether out of pain whether out of poverty whether out of misery then this is from the greatest of sins why because in essence by way of your uh, deed it is as if you are denying that Allah is compassionate is merciful is, is kind and there are many many implications behind this evil act of taking taking your own life which is why a very severe and stern uh, punishment and caution has been given in the Sunnah. This is the third benefit right this hadith or these hadith they tell us or they teach us the, the greatness of the sin of committing suicide. Well Alhamdulillah as you know and there's research known and established that people who generally believe in a creator and specifically the, the Muslims have the lowest rates of suicide this is known there is the research and the ones who have the greatest rates of suicide are the materialist, atheistic societies. And it, it's not very long between, you know, if, if you're an atheist and you believe there's no meaning to life, there's no purpose to life, you inherit a very pessimistic attitude. A pessimistic attitude. In fact, so pessimistic that it becomes it borders on the ridiculous i'll give you one example once i I listened to a debate between this uh, atheist called christopher hitchens from the from the new, new atheist you know group and he was having a debate with someone and in there he said he made the remark something along the lines that you know in 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 a billion years time our galaxy is going to collide with the andromeda galaxy and we won't even be here okay so in a billion years time you are so worried and feared that in 1 billion years time this galaxy is going to collide with you and and you're not going to be here the point is making well what's what's the future what's the point of of mankind then and what's the you know why do we look forward this is the level of pessimism that you are forced to inherit by way of this, of this materialism and atheism and it borders on the ridiculous and that's why when these people who, who are upon all of these uh, you know, philosophies based upon atheism, existentialism and so on and so forth that basically you know, uh, it, it, it's, it's just maximizing pleasure and you determine your own philosophy and reality for yourself when they are maybe sitting there or lying down in bed and it comes to their mind, the reality hits them, hold on, hold on. My philosophy is telling me that that my worth as a human is no different to the feces of a dog on which an ant feasts upon. There's actually no difference. So when that reality hits them, then they realize that everything they're doing is totally meaningless. And even the pleasure that they're seeking, there's, there's nothing really behind it. And so, so when they exhaust all the means of pleasure, of food and drink and relations and whatever else, and they've exhausted everything, they realize, hang on, this, this, there's nothing here. And they commit suicide. right? And that's why you see that, in fact, there's one, one um, uh, research that says that the happiest countries seem to be the Scandinavian countries which ironically also have the highest rates of suicide so is, is it really happiness that you really have or is it is it just something fake that really you know so the point being Alhamdulillah as we said that in the Muslim nations we don't have the suicide we have Iman in Allah we have hope we believe in Allah, Allah's mercy we know that the trials in this life as simply a purification, a test, a trial, a cleansing for what is to come in the hereafter that there is meaning, that there is purpose, that there is wisdom, that there is a far-reaching uh, wisdom and truth and that's what drives us, right and inshallah, the, the Haqq and the truth, the Aqibah will be for the, for the people of Iman and for the prophets and for, the, for for the messengers as allah has mentioned uh, in the quran indeed our word has already gone forth to our uh, messengers who are our servants uh, that indeed wa inna jundana lahumul that indeed our uh, troops are our soldiers, our, our servants, they are the ones, our jund, our, 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 our troops, they are the ones who will be victorious. Right? So we shouldn't feel uh, dismayed or, you know, by what the people of, of disbelief do and what they say and the apparent strength and domination. Inside it, it's, it's all weak and it will crumble at the right moment. Right? Anyhow, that's the third benefit, the fourth benefit the Sheikh was on to mention, from these texts. and it's a very nice uh, benefit to be extracted from these two hadiths, is the sheikh says, "Ital-ulwaatatul-waat," mawazana, which means an invalidation of this principle which is known as al-Muwazaat. And what this principle is, is that when you want to criticize somebody on account of a deviation he has or some harm or evil that he has with him that can harm other people, then you must also mention all of his good points at the same time. In order not to oppress him and wrong him. Right? So, the Sheikh says, batil. This claim is false. It is rejected by the Quran, by the Sunnah, and by the consensus of Ahlus sunnah Right? So the Sheikh is saying, if you, if you go back and remember these two hadiths, what happened? A man fighting fiercely bravely displaying all of the courage and the people see him thinking he's going to be from the inhabitants of paradise because of his jihad and courage yet the messenger said this is a man from the inhabitants of the hellfire right so the point being did the messenger also say at the same time this man is a person of the hellfire but mashallah he's good to his parents and he, you know, repeats Hajj every year, and he gives lots of charity, and he's good to his neighbor, and he feeds the. Po- Did he say that? No. He simply said, "This man is from the inhabitants of the Hellfire," and so that's what we find in those other hadith. And likewise, there's actually another hadith that the Sheikh mentions, where there was a man who, basically, again in battle, he was fighting the polytheists. He got wounded severely by a spear or a sword, and some people began to say glad tidings to you of martyrdom, of martyrdom, and so the messenger of Islam he said, "Inni ara, Inni ara, alayha He said, "Indeed, I see that the cloak that he misappropriated, meaning he took a cloak that he from from, from the uh, from the booty or whatever it is that he wasn't supposed to be taking, right?" So basically he, he took it, misappropriated or, or essentially stole it. And so the messenger said, indeed I see that same cloak being kindled over him or against him in the hellfire." So the messenger mentioned that one thing. He didn't mention all his host of other good deeds that, he, that he's been doing for the, the whole of his life or his good traits or his good qualities. No, because the maqsud, the intent here is to warn the people from, from, from this evil. So the Sheikh goes on to say, he goes on to describe this evil principle. Basically, he says that this principle. In fact, before we go there, let's just give some more examples to, to, to illustrate uh, you know, why this is the case. Like, if you if you know someone, for example, who drinks alcohol, and you want to warn your children or the people from from mixing with this man, you don't say my son this 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 boy or this youth you know he he drinks alcohol but you know what he's so nice to his parents and you know he's he always dresses nicely and he's cheerful and kind and whatever and you know he's got good manners you know whatever and you start mentioning all of the good things then you're confusing your child like like you you're kind of saying well actually you know what forget that overall just just mix with him because it, But your intent is to actually warn your children from being put to trial by his evil. So you say, do not mix with the son of so-and-so because this, you know, he does such and such and such. And that's it, you stop there. Because what what is the intent? The intent is you want to warn from that evil and from being, being caught up in that evil and from that bad company. You don't then invalidate what you said by bringing a long list of all other things that, you know, this, this and this. Right, so this is why this principle is a false principle. We do not find it in the Quran, right? We do not find it in the Quran. We do not find it in in the Quran. Allah speaks of groups, the polytheists. He speaks of individuals, and we don't find that all their good deeds are enumerated. Same with the Sunnah. Same with the, the way of the Salaf, right? But the Sheikh goes on to explain this principle. Why did it come? Where did it come from? The reason this principle has appeared is. It's basically it's one of the the mechanisms or one of the tools of those people the Muslim Brotherhood al-Ikhwan al-Muslimin who have followed the way of the disbelievers right they engage in revolutions they engage in party politics they want to <coughs> topple the existing rulers because as they claim the rules are tyrannical. They are oppressive. They are sinful. They are even disbelievers. They don't judge by Allah's law, and so on and so forth. And so they believe that because the rule is not established, it's Islam itself does not exist. Right? This is the idea of Sayyid Qutb, right, and and Mawdidi, Mawdidi, people like that, right? That, or particularly Sayyid Qutb, that Islam itself ceased to exist from many many centuries on what basis? simply because they are tyrannical sinful rulers who do not judge by all of what Allah has revealed and so therefore in order to re-establish Islam to make Islam come into existence again then we have to basically topple these regimes and these rulers and governments and that the whole of Tawheed and Jihad and enjoining the good and prohibiting evil is centered around this one notion, right? So from this point, there's numerous ways you can do this. You can either do a military coup, you can assassinate, you can, or if that's not possible, you you have to work on numbers, large numbers of people to come behind you, which is a revolution, right? If it's not a revolution then maybe you want to enter into party politics and use democracy right, to, to, to get into rule. So in order to get these numbers behind them, they started inventing all of these principles to water down the religion to enable them to acquire many many followers of different backgrounds, of different creeds, of different beliefs of different methodologies this one is a sufi this one is a mu'tazili this one is a shi'i this one is a you know naqshbandi this one whatever it doesn't matter all of you come together unite and support me in my revolution or my democracy party whatever it might be right so to justify this they have to invent certain principles that clash with the sunnah from those principles there are many of them but one of them is this one al muwazana what is it basically saying it's saying that for example if you want to warn against an individual and his books like for example sayyid Qutb, right then you have to mention all of the good things as well otherwise you have oppressed him and wronged him what do we find in the books of Sayyid Qutb? We find the Bid'ah of the Jahmiyyah, the Bid'ahs of the mu'tazila the Bid'ahs of the Sufiyyah. We find him reviling the companions of Allah's Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Attacking them, revi- doubting the Islam even. Right? He is, I mean there are so many calamities and evils in his books. And so if you want to be sincere to the Ummah, You would warn against these books, just as the Salaf warned against the books of the innovators and cautioned the people against them, right? Because you want to stop people from this misguidance, the misguidance of the Khawarij, the misguidance of the Mu'tazla, the misguidance of Wahdatul Wujud and all these other calamities that you find in his books. But what these people are trying to do by this principle is to to basically make that warning of non-effect. Right, they're trying to neutralize the warning of the people of the Sunnah against this type of deviation. So, so basically, what they are saying is oh, well, if you want to speak against Sayyid Qutb and his deviation is misguidance, then you have to also mention all of his good things the fact that he spoke positively about Islam and he defended Islam and he spent time in jail and he did this and he did that, whatever. But then that, that, that just makes the warning of no effect. It makes the warning of no effect. Right? So as you can see, the Sheikh mentions here that this is an invention and a fabrication of this of this Muslim Brotherhood in particular, and they have many other false uh, principles. And uh, to the degree that some of those who started speaking with this principle back in the '80s and '90s, you will see them, they will even go and visit the heads of the Rafidah. For example, in Saudi Arabia, there's a man called Hassan bin Musa as safar He's from the heads of the Shia, from the Rafidah, in a place called Qatif in Saudi Arabia. And there's a large population of Shia there, and he is from the heads. So some of these people who are claiming attachment to the Sunnah, claiming to be people of the Sunnah, who are propounding these principles, these are the same people who are going and visiting this head of misguidance, right? So you can see exactly what they mean, what they intend by the practical implementation of this false and futile principle, right? And this principle is false and this hadith of the messenger of Allah, when he spoke about this man that he's from the inhabitants of the hellfire, and many other examples as well, this is one of hundreds of refutations of this false principle in the Quran and in the Sunnah. You see, all the books of hadith, the narrates of hadith, right? They say so and so is a kadhab, so and so is, is a mudallis, so and so is, is, <coughs> is a jahmi, so and so. They mention only what this man is known for of evil. Or misguidance or innovation, so that the people can be can be beware of that. So, are you now going to say that all of the muhaddithin from from the, the you know from the second century onwards they were all oppressive and they wronged thousands of these innovators and misguided people because all they ever did was just you know make one word remarks, kadhab, you know, murji, uh, you know, jahmi, this whatever? No. Because, because the intent is to, is to warn. And so the Sheikh goes on to say that he goes on to mention, in fact, uh, this principle is spoken of by, in general, it is the Muslim Brotherhood. But in particular, the groups which are upon the way of the Khawarij. Right? The ones who want to revolt and rebel and you know, cause uh, term- turmoil in the Muslim lands. This is a political call. And the Sheikh goes on to mention how the the founder or the head of all of these movements in every age and era is a man known as Dhul Khuwaysira Al Tamimi. You've heard of this name many, many times. Right? This whole idea of revolution and, uh, you know, against uh, injustice, against social injustice, as they say, this whole idea of this movement, its beginnings and foundations, Go back to a man called Dhul Khwaisirah Al-Tamimi. And this, the Sheikh goes on to mention the, the incident very briefly. The Sheikh says that in, in the time of the Messenger of Allah after the battle, I believe it was the Battle of Hunayn, uh, when there was booty, war booty was brought, and the Messenger of Allah, he distributed the war booty to certain people who were from the, the, the wealthy The you know the high level wealthy well known people, right, and some people felt discontented. They were unhappy. How how can wealth be given to these rich and wealthy people, you know, and not given to other people, and even the Ansar, as the Sheikh will mention in the next uh, next uh, lesson. Even the Ansar at the beginning they had this uh, feeling. But the messenger said to them, "Indeed, I am trying to soften their hearts." Right. So this is from the from the siyasa, from the from the excellent uh, dealings and conduct. In that, sometimes a ruler may make decisions on the basis of, you know, what, 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 on the better outcome. Right. So in this instance, the messenger he gave the wealth in order to soften the hearts of the wealthy elites towards Islam. Because when that brings them into Islam, that in turn will bring more good, right? But he kept it away to the, to, the, to the poor faithful, right? Meaning, those who had been in Islam for a long time, whose Iman was strong, and if they were deprived of wealth, they're not going to start complaining and, you know, because their Iman is strong. Whereas the Iman of these wealthy elites is, is new, it's fresh, and it needs to be rooted by doing a deed of goodness to them, and you know, and so this was the wisdom behind the action of the Messenger of Allah, right? And the Ansar, once they understood this, then Alhamdulillah, they were content. But there was another faction present, of as the Shaykh will explain in the in the, the next lesson, uh, that these were not believers; they were hypocrites that were present in the time of the Messenger of Allah. And one of these men came, and he said to the Messenger of Allah, he said, he said. Ittaqillah, Ya Muhammad. He said, Fear Allah, O oh Muhammad. And he also said, Idil, Ya Muhammad. He said, Be just, O oh Muhammad. Why? Because really, this, this group they wanted the wealth for themselves. They were after the wealth. And then they made a pretense as if social injustice had been done. Right? Pay attention. Because this gets you to the the reality of the khawarij in every age and era. The khawarij, they are really after money. They have grievance over wealth and money. But then, to cloak that grievance, they say social injustice, right? You haven't judged by justice. You haven't judged by what Allah revealed. It is then cloaked with this layer of what, what sounds to be beautiful and alluring social justice equal distribution this that whatever right and that's why ibn thaymin الله, said the shaykh he said that the khawarij they accuse other people yet their hearts are the blackest of, of 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 the hearts right because what you see on the outside is not really what's what's on the inside anyhow the Sheikh goes on to explain that uh, uh, this this, qissa, this story is well known and so these people uh, the Messenger of Allah, he quashed them, they remained underground. And then in the time of Uthman, عنه, and Ali, they surfaced, and their tribulation is well known, the tribulation of the Khawarij. And the tribulation of the Khawarij is similar and identical to the tribulation of what we know today as the Marxists and the communists and the collectivists, because the underlying principle is the same. It's a grievance about wealth and its distribution. And so anyone can come along and say, Oh well, we want to we want to distribute the wealth equally to everybody. In fact, if you read the advice of Wahab bin Munabbih, he has a risala in which he gives advice in relation to, to the Khawarij, and in there there's, there's a story, and it's revealed that the 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 whole issue of the Khawarij is purely to do to do with wealth and the distribution of wealth and they are the ones who want to be in charge of the zakah and the collection of wealth from the muslims so it comes to them so that they can then as, as, as they claim we're going to distribute the wealth that's what they say but they, they, they have other intentions anyhow the Sheikh mentions this qissa very briefly here at this point that is the fourth benefit what is the fourth benefit benefit is this principle whereby you say that when you want to warn against an innovator Or a sinner in order to warn from his evil this principle says that you have to also mention his good points because you know then you've wronged him otherwise you've wronged him this principle is false is false and if we were to act upon this principle in matters of religion even in matters of trade and business and even in matters of life and marriage the world would become corrupt the religion would become corrupt if we implement it in religion. Even the world would become corrupt. Imagine, imagine, you know, imagine, you know, you saying, do not do business with so-and-so because he's a thief and a liar He will embezzle you, whatever. But you know what? This man gives so much charity and he's so nice to his parents and he's so nice to his neighbors and this and this and whatever and he donated so much to wells in Africa. And well, now you're just confusing people. You're just confusing people. Or, you know, this man, you know, don't, don't give your daughter to in marriage because he's known to beat his you know, wives and his daughters and leave bruises on them. But you know what? He's such a cheerful man. He's such, what are you doing? You're just, you're just, you're just unwinding the, the, the benefit that you're trying to establish through the warning. So, so this is a corrupt principle. We know it's corrupt. Just from experience, it's corrupt in religion and it's corrupt in the worldly affairs. al Muwazana. Beware of it, right? because people utilize and people will come to you Astaghfirullah, how can you speak so ill of this man and you didn't mention any of his good deeds This is injustice, this is all emotional rhetoric that you know, is, is, is refuted by the Quran, by the Sunnah and by consensus Finally, the fifth and final benefit, we can finish with this inshallah, is uh, as, as we see in the hadith, the shaykh says anna al-a'mal bil Khawatin," that actions, what you know, they are sealed that the life of a person is sealed by the thing that he dies upon. And in fact, we have a, a, another variation of the hadith, Inna rajul the hadith of Abu Huraira, anhu, mentioned in Muslim, Inna rajul laya'amala az-zaman at-taweel uh, bi-amali ahli al-jannah, thumma yukhtamu lahu amaluhu ahli al-naar. Indeed, a man, he does for a very long time. A very long time. Could be for a whole lifetime. He does the deeds of the people of paradise. And then, his final action is sealed for him with an action of the actions of the people of hellfire. And likewise, the reverse. Indeed, a man, in a rajul, la ya'mala al zaman al tawil indeed a man he does for a very long time the actions of the people of hellfire then his final act is sealed for him as one of the actions of the people of paradise so the actions are are basically by the end outcomes and the shaykh goes on to say that you know whoever basically dies upon a good end, then it is from our belief that we that we hope that this person is going to enter paradise. We have hope for him. And anyone who dies upon sin, then we fear that he may be punished by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is in relation to someone who is a muhid, right? So a muhid is the one who either may be punished for his sin or may be forgiven for his sin, if he dies as a Mawahid. Sheikh goes on to explain, as for one who is a Mushrik, because there are many who ascribe to Islam, they have prayer, they have fasting, they have charity, they have good deeds, they have good behavior with parents, but what they are upon, is grave worship, worshiping of saints, asking saints for rescue, and relief, right? And they do this. The Sheikh says, this is why it is important to mention the word muwahid. and then he quotes from Imam Ahmed in Usul Sunnah when Imam Ahmed said, Rahimahullah, So he mentioned muwahid Right? He qualified it with muawhid, and then he said, يُصَلَّى عَلَيْهِ وَيُسْتَغْفِرُ لَهُ وَلَا يُتَرَكَ لذنب أذنبه صغيرا كان أو كبيرا أمره إلى الله تعالى. so he said whoever dies from the people of the qibla as a muahid then it is to be he is to be prayed over the Janazah, istighfar is made for him we ask Allah to forgive him and we don't abandon du'a for him and istighfar for him no just because of a sin he committed whether it is small or large rather his affair is with Allah the most high so anyone who dies as a muwahid irrespective of of, you know the sins he committed and the sin he died upon we still we have to make du'a for him and we seek Allah's forgiveness for him and his affair is left with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Allah may punish him Allah may forgive him and so this this affair is left with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala this brings us really to the end of the various benefits that the sheikh mentioned we can conclude at this point and make preparations for the prayer so this this brings us to an end to the first of the two related lectures the next lecture is actually also connected to this one inshallah we'll, we'll cover that in the next lesson uh, but in brief uh, these are, are, are the benefits that the sheikh has estra- has extracted from these two texts and uh, with that uh, we ask allah Zawjul to reward the sheikh tremendously And with that, we'll conclude our lesson with Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.